Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Russia announced last week it was withdrawing troops from the Ukraine border. Satellite images helped the United States determine the claims were false. Planet Lab's constellation of 200 small satellites helped capture what was actually playing out on the ground. On Monday, um, there was no bridge. And then on Tuesday, there was a bridge across a river that is on the border between uh, uh, Belarus and, and Ukraine. And that bridge is clearly built for uh, transferring troops. And this was the very day that Putin said they were withdrawing. Planet CEO Will Marshall, just back from the Munich Security Conference, says open source intelligence, of which satellite imagery is a key part, is changing the calculus around war, ushering in a new era of transparency and accountability. In this episode, we delve into how the new space economy is impacting the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. As launches become cheaper, satellites smaller and faster to make, and data easier to analyze through artificial intelligence, it's spurred a new generation of satellite operators, commercial players now bringing intel to the masses. This new approach to Earth imagery, which does not require a security declassification, can be released rapidly and has been integral to the Biden administration's effort to set the narrative and prepare next steps in the mounting conflict between Russia and Ukraine. As Russia contemplates its next move, we have our next move prepared as well. Russia will pay an even steeper price if it continues its aggression, including additional sanctions. The United States will continue to provide defensive assistance to Ukraine in the meantime, and will continue to reinforce and reassure our NATO allies. Planet Labs claims the largest constellation of Earth imaging satellites in the world. Small spacecraft that capture daily pictures of the globe and sell that information to a wide variety of customers across industries and sectors, including government agencies. I spoke with Planet's co-founder and CEO, Will Marshall, to discuss what Goldman Sachs calls the company's, quote, unique opportunity to democratize Earth observation data. We don't have to rely just on what the U.S. government or the Russian government or anyone else, um, the Ukrainian government, have been saying, but rather we can look for ourselves. We can look at the satellite imagery, see who's doing what. Is it true um, that uh, the troops are moving back when Putin says they're withdrawing or not, or and they can verify these things for themselves. And so, open source intelligence is being in, becoming bringing a new era of transparency and accountability to these world events, and that's not lost on the global leaders. Just how much data are you able to collect, and just how quickly are you able to release it to the public when it comes to to this new? paradigm shift yeah this new paradigm shift. yeah so we we have with our 200 satellites we image the whole earth every day uh, all the earth land mass and um that amounts to about three million images uh over 30 terabytes of data per day so <laughs> quite a lot to look for uh, through mm. a lot a little bit more than when you're looking through your 
phone pictures uh, through the days or <laughs> last week. We have three million pictures we've taken every day. And so obviously that's not something that a human can look at everything. Um, and so we then apply machine learning and other tools to extract out information. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's a bit about the volume of the data. And look, um, as we've scaled up again, increasingly, this is about now a big data and AI era and how it is bringing uh, transformational capabilities across a wide variety of areas, both economically, so the digital transformation of the global economy and sustainability, with the sustainable transformation of the global economy, tracking natural capital is the first yeah. step if you want to measure your ESG targets for every company. Um, it, it, tracking your emissions is the first step for every country to, to get on their sustainability and hit their targets. And so satellite data is a great foundation layer. So this new, you know, sort of daily updated information uh, enables that whole transition, uh, which is a multi-trillion dollar transition and then, as we just touched on, there's a role in peace and security, um, which is pretty much diffusing tensions. And so the governments want the data for those purposes as well. And we think that's a good thing and has net in, positive impact on peace and security as well. And of course, you're providing this data to the government. That is one of your, I mean, I know you have a, a, quite a, an array of industries and companies, customers that are that are uh, planet customers, but the government is one of one of those key um, customers that you're providing this data to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we, the US government and others too. And uh, just to be clear, though, the majority of our revenue by far is commercial. Yeah. Um, so it's agriculture, it's mapping with companies like Google, agriculture companies like Corteva, who monitor almost a million farmers field every day, uh, sustainability, like tracking deforestation and things like that. But it's true that we ha have government clients but even within governments, um, it's majority civil. So, for example, we work with NASA um, on tracking climate variables and uh, helping scientific research at, at the same time as getting to what I think you were getting at with this question, which is, do we serve the U.S. intelligence community? And the answer is yes, and others as well. And again, we think that's a good thing. And they, they, they leverage our imagery to understand evolving events like the situation in Ukraine. Mm. And so just just in terms of the security and peace piece of this, I mean, it almost seems like this is the democratization of information uh, mm. in a sense, because a lot of this is the type of data that would have been collected by so-called spy satellites in eras past and would have been highly classified and only a handful of people would necessarily had access to it. The fact that you can release these photos, anybody can sort of I guess, take on a subscription and be able to access this data that you can see these images in the media in recent days and sort of be able to call in this particular case, Putin's bluff uh, yes. around troop amassment uh, around the Ukraine border. I think it just speaks to how differently um, you touched on this earlier, how differently um, a conflict like this could potentially play out now. Yeah, uh, it changes the calculus of political leaders. Just imagine. Um, so we had one example we actually shared in, in the Munich Security Conference, which is um, last week um, on Monday, um, there was no bridge. And then on Tuesday, there was a bridge across a river that is on the border between uh, uh, Belarus and, and Ukraine. And that bridge is clearly built for uh, transferring troops. And this was the very day that Putin said they were withdrawing. And so that was a controversy. Now, we don't do the analysis, I would hasten to add, 
Uh, we provide that to think tanks and governments and press and others that do, but the implications were relatively clear um, that there was a disconnect between what he was saying and what he was doing, right? And that's at least what mm. the analysts were saying. And we we provide the imagery that is, if you like, um, without um, without any bias. It is just the facts of what was going on, the fact patterns on the ground, and it changes the calculus. Imagine if uh, President Putin is trying to create some sort of pretext for the event in Ukraine and saying, oh, we're going to justify war because of that. Well, what if he knows that that information is going to be clearly see it, viewable to everyone? Um, then that may change the way he calculates. And the same with President Xi Jinping, uh, when we had exposed uh, with our work with BuzzFeed, uh, that actually won the Pulitzer Prize in journalism, uh, when we exposed 200 Uyghur detention camps or potential Uyghur detention camps across China, again, would it have changed President Xi's calculus if they knew that that was going to become available to everyone and everyone was going to see that as opposed to perhaps being thought that that was going to be hidden? So, yeah, I mean, we are in a new world. And I think that that generally holds it's, it, it serves open countries better and it serves uh, to, to hold governments of all kinds to account. So if we were to see some sort of conflict, heaven forbid that this were to ratchet up in some in some bigger, meaningful way. I mean, some of the security and, and defense experts I've spoken to have said, you know, ISR capabilities. So intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance capabilities could be the first things that are um, targeted by Russia if this conflict were actually to ratchet up. Uh, I wonder how you think about that, given the fact that this is such important data now and it's space-based data and i i think back to russia just last year for example testing its anti-satellite weapon capabilities um about what that means in terms of risks and future conflicts uh when this is the type of information that becomes so powerful yeah well but i, I think one of the things that um that, that you know Firstly, our constellation is very resilient because of the fact that we have hundreds of satellites. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier how satellite imagery was once the province of just a few people in a few um, uh, very closeted situations, which, you know, in secret rooms. Um, now it has become imagery that a lot of people can access. So it's democratizing. And also it's a completely new data set. Even the governments do not have this daily scan of the planet like planet does so it's a new data set and it's a it's democratized in access um but you're touching on a different thing uh, to do with that security yeah of course um there's security threats and we take those things very seriously but you know um i i think historically we have seen that countries are very reluctant i mean you will note that the russians hit one of their own satellites not somebody yes. else's satellite and that was on purpose because um, it would be tantamount to a very serious uh, uh, event if they were to target a U.S. satellite. So where do we go from here? I mean, I'm just curious, like Planet you co-founded, um, was it was it always with this idea of democratization of data in mind? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, at the broader picture here is um, the globe is going on undergoing a digital transformation. Whole industries, you know, I mentioned agriculture um, mm -hmm. was, uh, you know, one of our biggest use cases. And, you know, there's companies like Corteva who are monitoring 800,000 fields a day. Um, but, uh, and just to give you a really concrete example, just the other day I, I learned about this case where uh, we, 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 we have a, a client in agriculture that one of their crop growers found a, a spider infestation 
and it cost them something like $70,000 and they weren't using our data. And had they been, it would have saved them most of that money. This is real hmm. stuff to real farmers on the ground. You know, it's saving them money. So um, when we serve um, okay, companies like that, uh, we are helping them in what's called digital transformation, right? And whole industries are undergoing digital transformation. It's a multi-trillion dollar transformation. It's really where big data and AI are leveraging and are being affected, affecting wide industries to become more efficient. And that's good for everyone. Um, similarly, as I mentioned, there's a sustainability transformation going on. Another multi-trillion dollar transformation as all the companies want to track their ESG targets and all the com com countries want to track their emissions. And satellite data can, is powering that. So sa satellite data is a foundational data set as part of this big data and AI revolution that enables the digital transformation and sustainability transformation of the global economy. And it's nothing short of that. So, you know, um, one of the things that I am amused about is if you look at the market reports, they say, you know, well, it's this many billion dollars a year for Earth imaging. They haven't even contemplated all the value proposition to these huge multi-trillion dollar trends. And so it's a bit like, you know, we, we, what we've just done in spacecraft is a little bit like the mainframe to desktop computing revolution in IT. And it's unleashing whole new applications and that those whole new applications are enabling whole new industries. And it's a big business and we're just at the very beginning. So how big do you think the business is? I mean, you just mentioned trillions with a T. Well, I certainly measure that's that, that's totally the kind of position that we're significantly <laughs> affecting. And I, you know, um, you know, many of our vertical markets um, add up to more than a billion dollars in revenue that Planet could serve today. Um, no problem. And there's there's dozens of those. So um, that's. Uh, but I think to actually estimate the market size is a bit like asking. Uh, Google to have estimated how big search can be when the internet was so nascent that no one had a, any clue how much you know ad revenue was possible. A bit mm -hmm. like that here, um, this data set, the question is how big, uh, how much power can that provide to these two you know, multi-trillion dollar uh, transitions? I think it is a very big part. I think our data set is not just relevant to that. It's not just accelerating, it is foundational. Like, I don't think it's possible for those digital and sustainability transitions to happen without the foundational data set that we're getting from space. So I think it's really cool right now, we're in this big space renaissance. Uh, there's the new rockets, uh, there's, the, um, there's the new billionaire space tourists. Um, there's cool stuff. I think the most exciting upshot of what's going on is a data revolution. Whether it's planet data and other Earth imaging folks that are providing more information about our Earth, which is powering these digital sustainability transformations, or whether it's comsats like Starlink or OneWeb that are providing more comms bandwidth, either way, it's a data revolution. The impact is a data revolution here on Earth. Not, uh, it's not just about the rockets or even the satellites. It's a data revolution that's impacting here on the Earth, and it has a big upshot to these yeah, trillion-dollar economies. Oh, it's so it's so interesting to put you in to have you sort of lay it out and put it in context like that. And I know you and I have had the conversation before this idea of data as a service um, where planet is concerned and the fact that so much of your revenue, for example, is recurring. I mean, are there are there industries when you talk about different verticals, are there industries, are there applications that just haven't even been considered or tapped into yet? Oh, huge ones. Yes. And of course, we can't predict everything and that there'll be use cases we can't predict uh, for sure of our data. Um, you know, uh, we, we've had real cases like that. Um, there was uh, recently one where 
I had no idea, but people were using it for monitoring disease outbreak in Africa. And I was mm. like, how the heck do you monitor diseases using our data? And it was just because it was to do with stagnant water and how close it was to nearby villages. And then they used that in their way of uh, figuring out where the risk areas are. Anyway, I, I get distracted. I mean, the, the point is there's zillions of use cases. Uh, but, but just to give you two examples that I'm really excited about, insurance and finance, these are basically very little revenue for us today. But they are huge opportunities. Insurance... Everyone wants to do does all these claims based on disasters um, that are, by the way, you know, natural disasters are increasing because of climate change, like fires, wildfires, uh, floods, uh, things like this, tornadoes. And the risk, well, you can either as an insurance company send a person out to every house, every farm field that's meant to be affected, or you can look in our imagery and save yourselves a hundred bucks a go. And it's a way, way cheaper way to do claims checking, right? In finance, um, We've, we've discussed that briefly before, but the, the way in which our data basically underscores, um, uh, has key alpha in certain commodities. We, just like we could help the farmers with crop yield, we, we can assess that for the whole globe. So that means we know the global wheat uh, health and, and output uh, uh, before any of the government crop reports. So, in fact, by the way, we did a partnership last year with the USDA where they start using our data for their crop reports. So we know that it's valuable to them, but we can do that much more frequently and and provide that uh, to, to making bets on the market. Now, we haven't tapped into that yet, but I think that's huge. I think that it's certainly a multi-billion dollar a year value proposition for the planet. Mm. And I mean, of course, you don't want to see a crisis like the one that's unfolding in Ukraine and Russia, but when you think about Ukraine as the breadbasket of that region and just all of the commodities that are coming out of that region and what that means from an inflationary standpoint, I'd imagine there's a, a very real, immediate use case for data like that right now too. Absolutely, both on the security side and as you're implying on um, the crop uh, uh, intelligence uh, uh, side. I mean, we, we do provide it to ag companies and some of whom use it for their business intelligence, if you like. And in this sort of situation, they'll be monitoring carefully, just like the countries that militaries are to understand yeah. the security situation. Talk to me a little bit about the constellation itself. What is the lifespan of one of your satellites? What does it take to build one of your satellites? Yeah, well, um, so... Obviously, we have some records there and some, some we're really, really proud of and uh, like having the most uh, Earth imaging satellites and some that we're really sad about, like we blow up more satellites than anyone else. Actually, I think Elon may have just beaten oh, really? us with this <laughs> with the recent launch, unfortunately, um, in terms of more satellites failed on a single rocket. Um, but yeah, we had 26 once uh, blow up. Um, but, you know, um, through those records, um, we, we have what's most important is we keep on iterating the satellite technology um, to be better and better. Uh, so the super doves, the, the, we launched 48 super doves on a, on a Falcon 9 rocket just uh, about a month ago, um, just earlier this year. And they are already producing more than five times more data per day per satellite for the same cost as the prior generation. Um, and so it just shows you how quickly Moore's law is enabling more data per day per satellite for the same cost. And that's just a massive efficiency. Again, it's like the mainframe to desktop compute re revolution for IT. And I use that example deliberately because it's orders of magnitude difference in this case in cost capability, capability which is what we mean is like how many bits or pictures per dollar can we collect? And that is going up, you know, many fold. And so our big 
um, innovation has been in what we call agile aerospace. Um, and so the, to, uh, to answer your basic question, what's our satellite fleet today? We have just about 200 uh, uh, satellites, these doves, or now super doves, that image the whole Earth landmass once per day. Um, and then we have 20, and that's at 3.7 meter resolution. So each pixel is 3.7 meters by 3.7 meters. And then we have uh, the high resolution system of SkySats uh, that we acquired from Google, which uh, have a resolution of 50 centimeters and can image any particular location up to 10 times per day. But uh, you have to actually schedule it. You have to say, I'm interested in this area. So as an example, back to Ukraine, you know, we saw that bridge uh, wasn't there one day and then was there the next. And then the following day, we could take a high resolution snapshot of that bridge to mm. find out more details about it. How many lanes is it? Uh, is it built for permanent or temporary or things like that? Mm. Just in terms of the satellites themselves, I mean, they're they're small. I remember when you yeah. were you, you went public on, on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, back in December and after you merged with the SPAC and you brought a demonstration of one of these and they were so tiny. Yes. And I just, again, I think back, I mean, so disruptive to the to satellite manufacturing as well. Cause I think back to, again, I used the example earlier of these like spy satellites that could cost hundreds of millions or billions of dollars and take many years to manufacture. And this is in many ways, the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. Early release, early release often applied to space. Yeah. Satellites are this big, 10 by 10 by 30 centimeters, for the most part, the 200 ish. And yeah, actually, we bought a, a real one. We bought a demo one for the display. So that with all the pictures, <laughs> we actually donated a real one to the New York Stock Exchange. So I'm really proud to say that one of our satellites is actually left there uh, for all to see that go through that. That's very cool. How long does it take to actually make one of these super doves? Well, so we we make that we can make up to 40 per week. Um, wow. So I still believe that uh, we, we have the record for uh, being able to manufacture satellites faster than any other uh, company or, or entity on Earth. Hmm. So talk to me a little bit about, I guess, the broader industry landscape, um, because we've seen some of your images for planet where Ukraine, Russia is concerned in recent days and recent weeks. Uh, we've seen images from Maxar. Um, there are, there are no, a number of other companies out there that are looking to be involved or are involved uh, in this area of space as well. One of the things I hear from Wall Street analysts all the time is that you are very far along versus everybody else, maybe by a couple of years head start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We certainly feel that way. Um, uh, there, there are, of course, incumbents like the one you mentioned um, who have been serving and doing earth imaging for a while. Uh, but it's, it's, we're doing a somewhat different business model where, which is primarily commercial and most importantly, one to many. So our imagery, we provide our images uh, each image we get down, we can sell it to multiple people because we do this automatic scan. So we sell that image to the farmer. We also sell it to the, um, the ag company. We also sell it to the local and state government that's monitoring. We also sell it to USDA that's monitoring and so on. And so each area, multiple people are interested in. And, and that's just in a rural area and urban areas, even more users. And each time we resell an image, the, the direct margins are in like the mid 90s, you know, like percent. Uh, so, wow. uh, so we have very high margins on our business. So the profit margins can be really, really great. Again, this is a data business. We are not selling rockets. We're not selling satellites. We are selling data, which um, is one to many. Um, and so, you know, uh, uh, people have said, likened it a little bit to the data is the new oil, you know, the economist quip data is the new oil. And I think that is in some important ways, that analogy is true. Just like oil, it, oil powers many, 
many uh, sectors. You have to refine it first and then it powers many sectors, automobiles, industry, so on. Similarly, um, our, our data serves many ve uh, vertical markets, agriculture, civil government, mapping, and so on. Um, once again, you have to refine it to be useful for those uh, sectors, um, but it's powering lots of them. The only big difference, however, is that you can only use a, a, a liter or a gallon uh, of oil once right <laughs> then it's gone whereas a picture you can sell multiple times and so the business model is a much healthier business model and of course most importantly it's a green green business not a, a dirty um, <laughs> um, a fossil fuel industry like oil is now hmm. where did you come up with the idea for this how did that happen <laughs> well we were at nasa uh, building spacecraft um I was working on some lunar missions that sent a mission to the moon uh, with some colleagues uh, looking for water there. I was on the science team. It's a mission called Elcos, a NASA mission. And we had found through that mission uh, significant amounts of water on the moon. And, but uh, what was remarkable within NASA is that we'd spent under $100 million on that mission, which was considered dirt cheap. Like everyone had told us you can't do a lunar mission for under a billion dollars. And we were saying, well, let's try. And not only did we succeed, we did it. Um, uh, some, some really important science but um, then we were trying to sh show well why is this even that expensive why is it still that expensive especially and the iPhone had just come out and smartphones and we were just like wow so much of what you need in a satellite is in this phone you have radios and hard drives and cameras and and sensor systems and so why why don't we try and utilize consumer electronics and that wasn't something that was native uh, uh, to NASA and the aerospace industry, which was had been so used to developing everything themselves, chips, mm. um, CCDs, solar panels, Velcro, all the things you've heard about, um, because no one had done them. And so you had to, right? And one of the most important things NASA did was help to develop the microprocessor because it needed compute power in the Apollo module and you couldn't have a, a, a mainframe computer. So they actually helped to develop what became the miniaturization of computing. But um, as a result, NASA was used to leading, not following. But now we had industry like Apple and Samsung and Google and all these other people developing better and better chips that were actually better than the ones that uh, NASA had. And so it was a motion of learning to follow. I called it strapping space to Moore's law. And that is leveraging all the chips and developments um, that were happening in Silicon Valley and leveraging them for the benefits of space. And that is the underpinning. Uh, so we'd done this phone sat project to put a few phones into space and they worked and they took a few pictures and we we're like, oh my God, maybe, you know, there's, there's, the, the phone is $500 and the satellite at NASA is $500 million. There's some problem there. Maybe we could leverage that technology and really do satellites in a smarter way. Now, this, our satellites aren't flying phones. Um, they have really sophisticated cameras and telescope systems that enable, but we leverage the underlying chips. So if you take apart one of our satellites, it looks like you've taken apart your laptop. You know, there's all these, these arrays of circuit boards and other things, but uh, which are all our own design. But if you look at any chip, you know, that comes from the same manufacturer that manufactures your chip in your phone or your, your laptop. And that is how our satellites have got this, you know, roughly a thousand fold improvement in cost performance than just a few years ago. Hmm. So you, so you came up with this idea, you basically leveraged the commercial industry and you started building satellites. And now here we are today. 
um, publicly traded company, which I'm curious to get your thoughts on what it's like running a publicly traded company versus a private one. Well, look, I mean, in the end, the mission stays the same. We are imaging the whole world and trying to democratize access to that information and helping uh, uh, those sustainable and digital transformations that I mentioned and peace and security. And uh, we have a fantastic team and that stays the same. We're just growing it a bit faster. We have a bit more capital to go a bit faster. And I think we're a little bit more secure, right? Um, obviously, uh, some things we can't talk about right now. <laughs> we're in a quiet period. I can't talk to you about the financials. Maybe I could have done when I was a private company. Um, and, you know, uh, th th that changes some of the communications internally as well. Um, and But, but generally, um, our mission has stayed the same and I'm focused on executing. What we have now got is capital uh, to grow our business, to go after all the huge sales uh, opportunity that we see in front of us, the huge pipeline of opportunity um, in all those different vertical markets that I've been discussing. And, um, and, and to build the technology that enables us to go over those other vertical markets like finance and insurance that I, I mentioned are on the horizon um, and so it's basically a software and sales and marketing push uh, to go after all the opportunities that we see in front of us. And so I'm excited by the acceleration that going public uh, provides us. Yeah, a, a lot going on. Um, and of course, all of this as we do talk about democratization of data and the role that plants play in it, playing in the maintenance um, of peace and security. So, Will Marshall, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to have this conversation with you and really appreciate it. No problem. Lovely to be here. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts and by following the Squawk on the Street podcast. For more on the space race, be sure to watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC. I'm Morgan Brennan. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.